we could all stand for the reading of God's word. The book of Third John. The elder to the beloved Gaius, who I love in truth, beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it is well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when your brothers came and testified your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing that you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of his name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers of the truth. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who wants to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, but I'd rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be with you. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, each by name. You may be seated. appreciate Andrew uh, sharing that word with us. I hope you had your Bibles there in 3 John. If you want to go ahead and, and turn there now, I think it's, it's important for us to hear that word uh, out loud. But if you want to follow along, we'll spend the rest of our time this morning here in our, in our time of study in, in 3 John. We are, are quickly winding down this little postcard series that we just started uh, a couple of weeks ago. I was talking with Gary about this uh, beforehand. He reminded me that he, he preached this same series uh, probably back in the in the 90s or maybe the 80s, and uh, since then, I don't know if we've touched some of these texts. Uh, it's probably been a while since we've spent time in a book like Philemon. That's where we started uh, a couple of weeks ago. Noah uh, had his choice of all of these and chose Obadiah and uh, did just a masterful job of presenting that word to us. Last week, we were talking about 2 John. Uh, next week, we'll finish this up by looking at that little letter that is written by Jude, uh, the brother of, of, of James and the brother of Jesus. And, and today, though, we focus in on these words Andrew just read for us, the words uh, from 3 John. Uh, as we noted last week when we talked about 2 John, it's believed that, that 2 John and 3 John were part of a, a packet originally that included 1 John. So all three of those letters, we believe, may have been uh, circulated among churches as part of one just overall packet. Uh, and in 3 John, as you heard, it is directed toward a personal friend of John, someone uh, that he has very warm feelings for, a brother by the name of Gaius. Uh, as in his previous letter, as in the, the message that we, we discussed last week from 2 John, John has a lot to say in this short little postcard. He has a lot to say about truth. 
There are just 15 verses in 3 John. You look back through there. But in those 15 verses, he uses a form of the word truth seven times. So this immediately becomes one of the most important themes in this little letter, this idea of truth. You turn back a page if you want to, you can look there in 2 John. He has a lot to say about truth there as well. In 2 John, he's talking to these, uh, he's, he's kind of refuting and opposing these deceivers, okay? Those who would set themselves up in opposition to the ministry that's focused on Jesus. So in that sense, they are anti-Christ. We talked about that a little bit last week, okay? So in 2 John, he's really dialed in on proclaiming truth that opposes those who are against the message of Jesus. But here, in this letter that Andrew read for us, in 3 John, we find the apostle now refuting some more false accusations and even uh, some false actions by what appears to be a brother in the church, a, little, a church leader by the name of Diotrephes. We'll have more to say about that here uh, in just a minute. So again, you can see here, he uses a form of the word truth uh, seven times in these short little verses. And in 3 John 4, he says this. He says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in truth. And that reminds us immediately of something he said that we looked at last week from 2 John 4. A lot of similarity here where he says to the elect lady, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in truth. So as you read through in John's gospel, as you read through these writings here from the apostle, you're going to see a real strong emphasis on truth. And by truth, we mean truth, the truthfulness of the gospel. John says there's nothing that warms his heart more as an apostle, as an elder. There's nothing that warms his heart more than to see people walking in fidelity to Jesus, people living out their faith. And let it be said that John is, is ministering, he's writing, he's teaching all this in a time when it wasn't exactly easy to do that. We, go, we can go back and, and look and, and, and read about the, the things that the earliest Christians had to deal with, the, the opposition that they faced from a world where, where the, the bedrock claim in the Mediterranean world in the first century was that Caesar is Lord. And along comes this, this group of, of people who proclaim the divinity of this Jewish rabbi, son of a carpenter, that claims of illegitimacy, followed him his whole life. And they assert, no, 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 it's not that Caesar is Lord, but instead Jesus is Lord. And that is the truthfulness of the gospel claim. And in that claim, they find good news. And so John preaches and teaches in a time when when Christians were being increasingly ostracized for that claim. It made them strange. It made them weird. People didn't want to do business with them. Family members would shun other family members for adopting that worldview that comes with the lordship of Jesus. And yet, John writes to the church and he says, nothing gives me greater joy than to see my children walking in the truth. So, it shouldn't be a surprise here in 3 John that we find some of the same themes that we saw last week in 2 John. So truth is one of those. But there's also this. In this short little postcard, John has a lot to say, not just about truth, but he also talks a great deal about one of his other favorite topics, and that's love. In this short little postcard of a letter, John uses the word for love 
Christian love, distinctly God-honoring love, agape, selfless love. He uses a form of that word six different times in these 15 verses. So again, back to our our concept of those, those twin poles, those walking sticks that we talked about last week, okay? We said that John wants us to walk with Jesus and have a balanced walk. And in order for us to do that, John says you need to hold on to these two things, truth and love. If you let go of one and focus on the other, you get things out of balance, which we talked about last week. And so it's no surprise to see John focusing in here on the same kinds of things. But here, here's what's, what's interesting. When he talks about love in 3 John, almost all of those references are directly to this brother named Gaius. Four times John calls this brother beloved. I mean, you can't stop expressing how much he loves this brother in the Lord. Just over and over, he says to him, you are my, my beloved. And then once more, just for good measure, he tells him that he loves him in the truth. And that's really interesting because John identifies himself in his gospel on the basis of God's love. He says repeatedly in John's gospel, he referring to himself, he says that he is the apostle whom Jesus loves. The love of God, Matt talked about it in our, in our introduction, about how our team, our students, over the last several days were focusing in on the love of God and what that means. The love of God is foundational for John and his understanding of himself. He sees himself in the gospel as the apostle whom Jesus loves. But this love that John can't stop talking about, it's also foundational for his understanding of others as well. Not only does John see himself as the object of God's love, I mean, that's important, right? But if we only saw ourselves as the object of God's love, we'd only be hearing part of the gospel. It begins there. It begins with us understanding that we are the object of God's love. But here's the thing. Then that also applies to our understanding of how God views other people as well. What does Jesus say when he's asked, okay, teacher, the greatest commands, you know, give them to Kind of give us some shorthand for the, the teaching of the word of God. And Jesus says, well, I have two for you. One, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And every head in the room was nodding. Because that is the great teaching in Judaism. All of his contemporaries, everyone in the room would have been like, yeah, that, that's what our mama told us. You know, that, that's what granny taught us years ago. The love the Lord your God, Deuteronomy 6, the Shema. Hear, O Israel. Shema Yisrael, he would say. This is the great teaching. But then Jesus elevates this other teaching and puts it right alongside of it. He says, but before you run off, there's another one that's, that's equally important. You know, it's just right up there with it. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. And that might have been more of a head scratcher. Because, you see, it's easy for us to view ourselves sometimes as the object of God's love. I want that. I want to be the object of God's love. I don't want to be the object of God's wrath. I want to be the object of God's love. So that's, that's easy sometimes to get our minds wrapped around. But then what's a little trickier is to view other people in light of God's love. And to understand that they too are the object of God's love, the focus of God's love. Well, that's a little harder because, you know, sometimes we have a, a, some water under the bridge in our relationships with other people, right? Has that ever happened? You know, you, you kind of have a falling out with somebody. Someone does something, they stab you in the back, they say something about you that's not true. They say, say something about you that is true. They, they hurt you in some sort of way. And then... 
what happens is that feeling begins to fester, and so we, we don't view them as the object of God's love. Instead, we view them as the object of our wrath or our strong feelings or whatever. But John won't let us do that. If we have received the love of God, he says, then that impacts the way we view others. So he says in, in his classic statement in the Gospel, John three sixteen, For God so loved the world. For God so loved those in the world that he gave his son, and we've just celebrated and remembered the, the wonder, the power of that sacrifice around the table just a moment ago. But then John says this, we love because he first loved us. When we've experienced the love of God in Christ, John says, it impacts the way that we view others as well. And so God's love has made all the difference in John's life. So much so that when he talks to Gaius, when he talks to his brother in Christ, he starts calling him beloved. You know, let me just remind you, he says over and over here, that you are, are someone that I love in the Lord. I love you in the truth, he says. Beloved. About the only time I use the word beloved is at weddings. You know? When do you call someone beloved? I, normally I'm standing right about here, you know, right in the middle. And, uh, you know, we, we, everyone's kind of gathered together here and... And to begin, you know, your, your opening line of the wedding is always, you know, dearly beloved. We only use that term, I only use that term in that context. But what would happen if we started using that language the way John uses it? He can't stop calling Gaius beloved. Because in the Lord, what binds them together is this, this love. The fact that John has been the focus of the love of God and the fact that Gaius has been the love of God, that does something now to these two men who've been drawn to the Lord by the truth and love we find in Jesus. And when that happens, I think that the point is that it's supposed to impact our relationships with one another. So what would happen if we started calling each other beloved? It'd be kind of strange probably at first, right? <laughs> I didn't grow up in a home where we were all the time saying like, I love you, you know? I love you, I love you too, love you. Like, like we didn't grow up in that, our, our house was like the wild, wild west, you know. It was just, we were not, you know, all that, all that touchy-feely, you know, but I'm starting to come around to what John is saying here because it, it would impact, I think, the way that we view one another. We started calling each other, you know, Bible names for Bible things, right? So if we started referring to one another about, you know, as, as, as beloved, what would happen? You want to be a part of a church where you know you're loved? You want to be part of a church where you know, it is obvious that the love of God has just has, has taken hold of these people. And I'm, I'm not saying that the love of God is, is absent here at all. I'm not, I'm not trying to imply that, so don't, don't run to the other extreme. I'm just saying in our language, what if we were as intentional about expressing our love for one another as John is? Can you imagine just the overflow? What would happen? We would, be, we would be bound together even more intimately, wouldn't we? Our time of communion would be so rich because we know without a shadow of a doubt, hey, love is, is at work here. And I've been loved by God in spite of my sin, and, and so have you. So, so if we're brothers and sisters in the blood of Jesus, I think we can work out whatever differences we might have. And I think more ministry would just sort of naturally overflow out of that kind of love. If we were to just express to one another the beloved status that we share in Christ. Our friendships would be deeper. Do you notice how the, the text ends there? As Andrew was reading, he said, greet the friends. 
isn't it wonderful to have friends in Christ, to have relationships that are life-giving because of what Jesus has done and brought you together, brought you close to one another? I, I, I think, you know, you're probably here today because of your love for the Lord. I hope that's first and foremost. It should be for us. But I think many of us also have this added benefit of coming along side brothers and sisters in Christ and being encouraged and nurtured in our faith. We're here, but we also experience a degree of love and warmth and acceptance. And so what would happen if we just began to intentionally express that to one another? I love what John says here. Now I'm reminded of what Paul says over in 1 Corinthians 13. Among other things, he says that love bears all things. I'm going to put that in our modern language. I mean, love puts up with a lot of stuff, right? Some of you have been married for a long time, and you're like, amen, right? <laughs> love puts up with all kinds of things because that's what you do. That's what love requires. That's what you do when you love someone. You're willing to put up with a lot of things. Love also rejoices in the truth, you know? So there's, so there's a line. There's a category there that shouldn't be crossed. But whenever brothers and sisters come together, in the spirit of, of love, man, God is indeed honored. Uh, in 3 John, this is the, the, the message, okay? In 3 John, the message is about love in action. John tells Gaius that it is an act of faithfulness to support the work of some itinerant Christian missionaries who are, are in their midst. And in fact, uh, it seems as if that might be the purpose for John writing this little letter in the first place. 3 John functions kind of like an ancient letter of recommendation. So John is commending these traveling missionaries uh, to Gaius, and at the end of the letter, he also does the same thing. He commends uh, his good brother Demetrius as well. But these kinds of letters of recommendation were pretty commonplace uh, in the ancient world. We write letters of recommendation even today. But if you want to find an example of one of these in the Bible, you can look at Acts 15 a little bit later. And you see there the Jerusalem Council, they send this letter of recommendation commending Paul and Barnabas and Judas and Silas uh, to share the good news of the gospel with the Gentiles. John commends these faithful ministers of the gospel to Gaius, and, uh, and he implores them to, to help these, these brothers in their work. So, we have a contrast. In 2 John, John was warning against those who are opposing the work of Jesus. And he says, if you get caught up in that, it's just like you're, you're, you're supporting them, whether you intentionally mean to or not. So there's this word of warning, you know, be mindful of, of who and, and what you support, right? In the third John, we get kind of the, the, the other end of the spectrum. He says, now, these brothers are supporting the work of the truth. Therefore, you need to help them, even though to you they are strangers. And I want you to look at what he says again in verse 7, okay? Right there in the middle of the letter, talking about these missionaries, this is what he says. For they have gone out, and I love this phrase, for the sake of the name. Think about that for a minute, Okay? They have gone out, he says, for the sake of the name. What is the name? What is he talking about here? Uh, interesting detail, uh, you may notice as you read through, you may have noticed as Andrew was reading for us, John never mentions the name of Jesus in 3 John. Do you notice that? In fact, this is a little, little uh, Bible trivia for you, okay? Because if somebody asks you, what did you learn in church today? I'm giving you this on a silver platter to you, okay? Uh, 3 John is the only book in the New Testament that doesn't 
use the word Jesus or Christ. Did you know that? Had to go back and double check it. <laughs> but it's absolutely true. John doesn't mention Jesus. And he doesn't mention even the name Christ. And so that, that was a, a problem at, at certain points in church history. People thought, should this one be in or out? You know? So he doesn't mention the, the name Jesus. Instead, though, he talks about the name. And that's a reference to Christ. That's the way it works over in Acts. You'll remember what Simon Peter says in Acts chapter 4, verse 12. He says, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Speaking, of course, about Jesus. And then one chapter later in Acts chapter 5, because of this conviction, the apostles are willing to suffer for the sake of the name of Jesus. And it says in verse 41 there in Acts 5 that, that they, the apostles, left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. In Acts 5, that meant being arrested and beaten. And yet Luke says in the very next verse, and every day in the temple from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. They were proud to suffer for the sake of the name. They were proud to proclaim the power of the name. Those earliest Christians that we read about there in the book of Acts, they were willing to risk so much for the sake of the name. And these missionaries that John mentions in 3 John, they're just another example of that. And so that, that beautiful phrase, I think, can, can describe, it should describe everything we do as followers for the sake of the name. We gather together to worship today for the sake of the name. We love our neighbors for the sake of the name. Uh, we offer a cup of cold water to those in need for the sake of the name. We seek to make disciples for the sake of the name. And we speak the truth in love for the sake of the name. For the sake of the name, that could be shorthand for every action of Christian discipleship. If you just want a, a shorthand way of describing that, it could be a lot worse than saying that we seek to act for the sake of the name. True Christian love is action that is motivated for the sake of the name. So uh, the question that, that I want to ask you today here, as we reflect on this text, these missionaries are going out for the sake of the name. John says we should, uh, Gaius should support them. The question for us, I think, is important. What am I willing to do for the sake of the name? What is it that the Lord is calling me to do for the sake of the name? Would I be willing to, to risk much like these earliest Christians were? To share the good news with someone in my, in my circle, someone I, I know, someone who is on my heart who, who, who doesn't walk in truth and love, as John says, someone who doesn't know Jesus. Would I be willing to risk much for the sake of the name like these brothers and sisters were? Maybe there's an action or a behavior that, that I need to give up for the sake of the name? Is there something in your life, some place where, where Satan might have a foothold? You know, the scriptures talk about that. So is, is there a place where Satan has, has kind of taken root because I've, because I've opened the door to him and, and through my actions, through my sins, through those temptations I've given into, I've given him, you know, a, a beachhead. I've, I've given him some space there to work. And so is there, is there a behavior? Is there, is there an action? Is there something, a relationship in my life that I need to, to let go of for the sake of the name? Maybe there's something that the Lord is, is, is wanting us to, to step out and do. Is there some ministry 
is on your heart that you think, you know, God would really just want me to, to do this for the sake of the name. Is this, if you're starting a Bible study at, at work or a, a jail ministry or, or going down and, and serving in a soup kitchen, I don't know what it would be necessarily for you, but, but the question I think is a really good one for us to consider in light of this text. What are we willing to do? What should we do? What ought we put on the table for the sake of the name? What would happen if that was my primary decision-making MO? If everything was filtered through that? I want to do this for the sake of the name. Can you imagine what would happen? How God could use that? And I think even the the latter part of of the letter that John writes here in 3 John, the part where he discusses discipline, and he discusses diatrophies, I think even that part uh, can be understood as, as loving action that is taken for the sake of the name. Verses 9 and 10, he kind of talks about this. And uh, we don't normally think of discipline as a form of love. That's just kind of not the way we typically think about it. But it can be. It absolutely can be when it is done for the sake of the name. Uh, we see a significant point of contrast uh, here. Diotrephes is not acting for the sake of the name, but he is acting for the sake of himself. Look here at verse 9 in 3 John. He says, I've written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. He goes on to say that Diotrephes is opposing John uh, with wicked words, talking nonsense in the translation that Andrew read for us. And moreover, here's what he's doing. Uh, He is refusing to welcome the brothers who have accepted the truthfulness of John's message. And then he's taking things a step further. He's actually expelling those from the church who are holding on to the truth that John has proclaimed as an apostle. And John points all this out. And he says this brother likes to put himself first. There are places in the New Testament that talk about church discipline. I just want to be clear. It's not that you know, Diotrephes is wrong for expelling someone from the church necessarily. You can read about this in some places. Matthew 18 talks about it. Titus 3 talks about it. 1 Corinthians 5. So there, there are passages that, that, that discuss this, but apparently, based on what John says, Diotrephes is just sort of shooting from the hip. He's not following any sort of, sort of apostolic rule here, okay? He is, he is taking action not for the sake of the name, not to preserve the truthfulness of the gospel, he's taking action because he wants to put himself first. He's taking action here, expelling people from the church simply because they're upholding the truth. For John, that's a problem. So John speaks truthfully here uh, to counter the things that Diotrephes has said, the things that he's done, and there's a bit of a disciplinarian tone here in 3 John, but it's all for the sake of the name. Uh, I want to give you a minute here just to take a little inventory, okay? Based on what we've heard here from 3 John, just take a minute now. You can close your eyes if you want to. Maybe you just want to put your head down. But I want you to do a little personal inventory here. I want you to replay uh, the actions and thoughts that have been a part of your life over the last several days. Many of you just did this a moment ago as we were gathered around the table, but I want to ask you to kind of reflect on that again now. 
I want you to think about the things that you said. Conversations at work, conversations at home, things we discuss among our peers. Think about your attitude over the past few days. Just think about reactions to the people and the circumstances that have been a part of our lives over the last week. Even take a minute and think about the emotions that you felt. How many times did you explode in anger? How many times did you feel shame or guilt? How often did you experience joy? How many acts of, of gentleness can you recall? How many acts of kindness? How many acts of speaking the truth in love can you remember? Can you pinpoint a moment in the last several days when you experienced peace? Peace with God, peace with others. As best you can, I, I'd just like to give you a moment, not long, maybe 30 seconds, 60 seconds, just to think about all you've experienced over the last week. And with all those things in mind, I just want to ask you, because I, I, I don't want to take that disciplinarian tone that John takes, because I don't know what the last week's been like. But ask yourself this question, just in the silence of the next 30 seconds. How often do I act for the sake of self, like Diotrephes did? How often do I act for the sake of the name that we read about through Demetrius? Just take just a moment in the silence of this room and reflect, and then we'll wrap up. Father in heaven, Lord God, pray that you are honored in this moment. We thank you for this word that you gave John to give to the church, to give to us. Lord God, we reflect right now. We reflect on the last several days. We'd reflect further if we could remember, Father. But God, we reflect, we, we look back. God, we see opportunities that were missed. We see moments that we should have claimed for you, but instead, instead of acting for the sake of the name, Father, we all too often chose the path of self. Lord God, today, as, as a body of people bound together in truth and love, we repent. And we turn to you and we seek your forgiveness, we seek your mercy. Seek the grace of a, of a second chance, third chance, fourth chance. God, we, we come needing what only you can provide. God, selfishness is, is 
is so prevalent and it's so easy to point out in others, God. So, Lord, I pray today that we would look inwardly and see all those times that we seek to act for the sake of self, not the sake of the many. But, Lord God, we trust this prayer and we trust your mercies. We trust the blood of Jesus, and so we trust that there is forgiveness there. We trust that this is all good news. What you've done in Christ on our behalf, what you continue to do through the power of your spirit, we trust that's really good news, God. And so in the wake of that good news, we, we seek opportunities, eyes to see and ears to hear, the opportunities that you will put in front of us in the, in the days to come. Opportunities for us to speak a word for the sake of the name. Opportunities to take bold action for the sake of the name. As countercultural as it might be, as much as it might put us in the crosshairs, as much, much as it might ostracize us from others, God, may we choose the way of faithfulness for the sake of the name. Lord God, I pray that you would write this on our hearts. May we be your disciples and your followers for the sake of the name of Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. Today we're, we're going to close with an opportunity for you to respond more publicly if you need to. If you need to respond and ask for the prayers of this church, we invite you to come and to do that. You can share that with us here. We'll pray for you publicly. Maybe you want uh, some of the leaders of this church to pray for you privately. You can find them in the back of the room and also in the balcony. But perhaps today you want to make a public declaration of the lordship of Jesus in your life. Maybe you want to follow Jesus into the water of baptism and have your sins washed away to be cleansed of all of that and to receive the power the forgiveness that comes in giving ourselves over to the Lord and becoming one of his followers. If so, there's nothing that would give us greater joy than to see you walking in that truth today. So if that needs to happen, I hope you'll share that with us as well. This word is given in the name of Jesus Christ, the sovereign Lord who makes all things new. He who has ears, let him hear. Let's stand together.